Good morning, everybody. Hey, uh, first of all, I want to thank everybody for praying for my mom. Um, as a lot of you probably know, she was uh, admitted to the hospital this week with COVID, uh, among other things that was going on. But she is improving a lot. For a 92-year-old with COVID, they're, they're shocked at how well she's doing. So thank you all for prayer. I don't believe that it doesn't have anything to do with prayer. I think prayer is part of the reason she's doing so well. So um, I know if she was here, she would be thanking you all. So when she comes back, I know she will give you, well, I don't know. She might not be ready to do the hugs and everything, but uh, we'll see. Uh, but today we're starting a new series uh, based on the Core 52 study. And this new series we're calling A Beginner's Guide to Greatness. Uh, Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark, was the youngest biographer of Jesus who had a string of failures in his ministry resume. I mean, when you look at Mark, you see he, he had some failures back there, but he never quit so that by the end of his life, both Peter and Paul considered him their spiritual son. And that's why his gospel is such a valuable guide as a beginner's guide to greatness, greatness in a spiritual sense. He embedded Jesus' best advice on how to achieve success in life. And he also was the first of the early church leaders to call the message of Jesus the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, how many of you have ever had somebody approach you and say, I've got good news and I've got some bad news? Now, now what do you want first? Has any, have any of you had somebody come up and say something like that? We've seen the old jokes about the good news and the bad news. The good news is you baptized seven people in the river today. The bad news is two of them were swept away by the current. Oh, well, at least they were baptized before they were swept away. The good news is your longtime girlfriend finally said she was ready to settle down and marry. The bad news is it's with your best friend. Okay. <laughs> oh, that, that hurts. Um, maybe you heard about the woman who gave birth, uh, and after she gave birth, she fell into a coma. Seven months later, she wakes up. And she sees the doctor and she asks about her baby. And the doctor said, well, look, you got some good news. You had twins. Wow, a boy and a girl. And they're both healthy. Luckily, your brother was here to give them names. And she's like, oh, no. Oh, no. My, my brother is not very smart. Oh, what did he name my daughter? And the doctor said, Denise. And I said, oh, Whew, that's a relief. That's not so bad. What did he name my son? The nephew. <laughs> Good news, bad news. What, what do you want to hear first? There's actually been studies done on this. Angela Legg, a PhD student in psychology from the University of California, Riverside, researched this question to find out, you know, what people preferred. And the answer she found actually depends on whether you are the giver or the receiver of the news. And if the information is going to be used to modify a person's behavior. So if you are receiving 
the good news, bad news. Experiments showed that an overwhelming majority, more than 75%, wanted the bad news first. If people, she said, know they are going to get bad news, they would rather get it over with. And then, if there's good news to follow, you end on a high note. Conversely, news givers, between 65 and 70%, chose to give the good news first before the bad news. When news givers go into a conversation, they are anxious. No one enjoys giving bad news. They don't understand that having to wait for bad news makes the recipient even more anxious. But good news first, then bad, could be a useful strategy if the goal is to get someone to change a behavior. When, for example, Leg says, you are giving feedback to a patient needing to lose weight, I don't know why they said that one, uh, who has to take action, the recipient doesn't feel good about the news, but may do something about it. So, how about you? How many of you prefer good news first? Raise your hand. Gosh, a couple of you. How many of you prefer bad news first? Raise your hand. Wow, an overwhelming majority. That would be true. Today we're going to talk about good news. But it is the good news of Jesus that we're going to focus on. And you know that the Greek word translated gospel, or given that word gospel, means good news. But just like in real life, along with the good news, there's some bad news. We need the good news because there is bad news. Are y'all with me? Are we tracking together? In our Core 52 lesson this week, Mark Moore pointed out that the writers of the New Testament called the message of Jesus the Gospels of Jesus Christ because they wanted to center the attention on Jesus and the good news we have as a result of Him being in our life. Now, if you read the lesson, you'll remember that he said that originally that phrase, good news, gospel, was coming from the Romans. And it was used to describe the message that would come from the emperor as he would send out his couriers throughout the land with good news from the emperor. They might show up and say, good news, the emperor has had a son, or good news, um, the emperor got married, or good news, we won the battle or the war. So all of these couriers would go out throughout the land to share the good news from the emperor. Now the purpose of those messages were to ensure that the people would celebrate and be loyal to their emperor. So when Mark used the same word, gospel, he was directly speaking in opposition to the Roman emperor. He, along with the other authors of the gospels, were asserting that Jesus is the true God, not Caesar. Now, the good news they had to share was life-changing for every person on earth. And friend, I want to tell you that you are a messenger of the good news of Jesus Christ. 
Just like those couriers would carry that good news throughout the empire, you are a courier carrying the good news of Jesus wherever you go. What an awesome opportunity and responsibility. Now, we know in Mark 1.1, we start off with that phrase, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, why is it called good news? And in my mind, it really is not just good news. It's great news. Would you all agree with me? This is great news, not just good news. Well, it is good news because it gives hope to the hopeless. And because of that, you have to think, why are people hopeless? What's the bad news? What, what is it that's creating a hopelessness? Unless we understand the bad news, we're not going to realize our need for the good news. Now, during the COVID-19 pandemic, and of course, as we all know, it's not totally gone. It's still here among us. Probably never will be totally gone. But during the, the, the bulk of that, during the, the most difficult time of that, 48% of Americans were feeling down, depressed, or hopeless, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. I imagine some of you could have been included in that number. Among our young people, we know that anxiety and depression is an ever-increasing problem. According to the National Alliance of Mental Health, one in four young adults between ages 18 and 24 have a diagnosable mental illness. Suicide is the third leading cause of death on our college campuses. Let's think about that. People feel hopeless for any number of reasons. But here are a few according to psychcentral.com. Alienation. The feeling of being different or unworthy of love or being cut loose or rejected by people. Forsakenness. The feeling of abandonment in a time of greatest need. Uninspired. Feeling like there is nothing that stimulates or motivates them toward achievement. Powerlessness. The feeling that life is totally out of their control and they're unable to navigate their way toward their goals. Oppression, the feeling of being crushed or subjugated by someone else. Doom, a, a feeling of dread and despair that something life-altering or life-threatening is going to happen. Helplessness, a feeling that they can no longer live safely in the world, the feeling that they are exposed and vulnerable. Well, friends, all of those things create a hopelessness that people experience. But the gospel gives us hope in the face of all that hopelessness. With more severe mental illness, of course, you know, somebody needs to go see a, a, a doctor, just like if there was a physical illness. But the gospel is good news because it tells us that we are not alone. We're not rejected by our Creator. We are not forsaken. 
We can be inspired by the gospel to live out our faith courageously. We're not powerless, but we can tap into the almighty power of God. We may be crushed by the world, but we will be victorious in Christ. The gospel can turn a sense of doom into a sense of hope. There are certainly things in this world that spell disaster, but we know that our home is not of this world. So we're not helpless. Rather, God can bring us through any and every hardship. As Paul wrote about his own experience in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. What enabled Paul to overcome the hopelessness of life? It was the good news of Jesus Christ. And friends, it is good news also because it gives life to the lifeless. Why are people lifeless? Well, for one thing, death reigns in this world. Most people fear death. They know that ultimately every human being is going to die. And unless you have faith that Jesus is coming back, and then you know that if we're alive when he comes back, we'll be taken with him. But unless that happens, every one of us, this physical body will give out. Now, many people live like they are lifeless, like they're already dead. They live in a state of being separated from God. They don't seek God out. They don't worship God. They don't think about God. To me, that means that they are lifeless spiritually. And through Christ, we have life because we have overcome death. We have the promise of the resurrection through the good news. The good news tells us Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. And just like Jesus, those who put their faith in him, we will rise as well. So we don't fear death like the rest of the world who has no faith. Now this past week, I was asked to join Tommy Barnes and Glenda at the hospital as the doctors came in for a consultation. Some of you may have heard that Tommy's cancer has returned, and the doctors shared with them there that there is really nothing else medically that can be done to help him. So hospice has been called in, and they're going to give Tommy and Glenda some support. But Tommy said something during that consultation that I that I hope that every one of us as believers in Christ would believe. It was a quote from a scripture in Hebrews chapter 9. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Tommy told them, he said, I'm not afraid of dying. He said, I've come to terms with what's going to happen. He just wants to be faithful to the end. He has a hope 
and faith that this life is not all there is. It is not the end. Now, why does he have that hope and faith? Because the Gospels, the good news of Jesus Christ, was communicated to him a long time ago, and he gave his life to Christ. This is the good news that brings life to the lifeless. We were dead in our sin, but now we are alive in Christ. By the way, if you're looking for a way to minister to someone, if you want to help Glenda around the house, Glenda is practically blind and she can barely hear. So she needs some help as Tommy is going to you know, be struggling here. So if you would like to help out, maybe get on a, a list of people that could help, contact Debbie Dizon. Debbie has said that she would head up that effort. And if you want to help cut the grass for them, contact me, and we can together figure out a route, and we'll make that happen. Now, the gospel is also good news because it gives light to the darkness. Now, what is the darkness? The darkness is when we live without the light of Christ. You know, when we live in the world without a relationship with God, we experience darkness. And I imagine every one of us here have been in dark places at times, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. John wrote this good news about Jesus. In John 12, 46, we read, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Jesus came to bring light into the darkness. The Apostle Paul was called to spread this good news. And speaking of his own conversion experience, he told King Agrippa these words found in Acts 26. Now, he's re re reminding him of what happened to him. Now, get up and stand on your feet. This is what was told to Paul. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So many people are living in darkness. They're living like they're dead, spiritually, lifeless, without hope. Jesus came into this world to turn that life around. This is the great news that the entire world needed to hear then. But now there's a question. Is it still good news or is it just old news? You know, some people think that the Bible or the gospel is just old news. And I would say to them, yes, it is an old story. How many of you remember that old hymn, the old, old story? Tell me the old, old story. What a beautiful old song that is. But the real old story 
was written 2,000 years ago by eyewitnesses of the stories revealed. Written by people from a different time and written to a different culture. Think about how the world that received the Gospels the first time would compare to our world today. Can you imagine someone being transported from that world into our world? I mean, they wouldn't recognize it. Neither would we recognize it if we were transported back. It was written by men who did not speak English, by the way. A lot of people say Christianity is a Western religion. No, it is not a Western religion. It was written by men who didn't speak English. They were not Westerners. They were not white men. Most were not educated. They were not wealthy. They were not powerful. They were not from an influential class. They were passionate about what they wrote because they were convinced of what they had witnessed. The Bible's been around and in print since the original printing press in 1455. But the original letters that make up the gospel and the Bible were written much earlier than that, and the copies of those letters were spread around to all the churches from the very early stages of the church. More copies have been bought and sold of the Bible than any other book in history. I'm sure you knew that. Worldwide, over 5 billion copies of the Bible have been sold. About 85% of American households own a Bible. And the average American family has 4.3 copies of the Bible. I don't know what happened to the other 0.7, but 4.3 copies of the Bible. How many of you have more Bibles in your house than just one? Anybody? <laughs> okay. About 36% of Americans read the Bible less than once a year. Think about that. They got all these Bibles in their house, but they're not reading them. 33% read the Bible once a week or more. How many of you read the Bible once a week or more? Raise your hand. Yes, I knew that would be true. So it's very familiar to us, the Bible is. Have you ever heard that phrase, familiarity breeds contempt? That was a phrase that Chaucer made famous. It means that the more you are aware of something, the the better you know someone or something, the more you're going to find fault with them or the longer you spend with them or with something, the more bored you become with that, now, the less you appreciate that. But the phrase actually went even further back than Chaucer. A Roman citizen, Publius Cyrus, made this statement back in 50 B.C. So times hadn't changed that much, right? Could it be that we are so familiar with the gospel of Jesus that we treat it with contempt? I think so. But to answer the second question, yes, it is an old story, but is it still good news? What would you say? Would you say it's still good news? Absolutely, it is still good news. Are people struggling in life today? 
Yes. Are there suicide rates going up? Yes. How about crime rates? Well, depending on who you listen to, I think crime rates are going up. There is hatred. There is confusion. So, of course, we need the good news. We have all kinds of things going on today that weren't happening when I was younger. Gender confusion, Christians believing the perversions that the world wants to promote are all okay. Look, friends, we need to go back to the Bible and understand what it's saying. Again, more people feel isolated and alone, even though we have all this social media technology. I thought social media was there to help us feel more connected, but people are feeling less connected than ever. What does that tell you? Are people still lost in a dark world? Yes. Do people still need to know about Jesus? Yes. As many churches as we have on every corner of America, we still need the good news of Jesus. The good news is as good today as it's ever been, and we still need it. I might add, it seems like we need it more than ever. How many of you would say that to be true too? God instituted the church to make sure that the good news would be shared throughout the world. Now, last week, we asked you to join us on this 30-day prayer challenge. We're calling it Pray for the One. And we were asking you to put one person's name on that little slip of paper that was in your bulletin. I believe we've got those little slips of paper in the bulletin still. And we're asking you to pray for that person every day for 30 days and just see what God will do. That person you know who desperately needs Jesus but they haven't figured it out yet. They need the good news of Jesus, but they don't even understand the bad news yet, that being apart from Jesus is a very dark place to be. So, what should our response to the good news be as individuals and as a church? Well, first of all, we need to receive it. And by receiving it, I mean listen to it, read it, hear it. What good does it do if we're not putting it into our minds and into our thoughts? In Romans 10, 14, we read, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one they, of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? So we've, we've got to hear it. There's got to be someone that's going to share it with us. So the first responsibility we have is to receive the Word. And then we have to accept it. And by accepting it, I mean believe it. Not just hearing it, but putting that into our belief system. In Acts 15, 7, we read, After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them, Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Belief is absolutely necessary. We must believe. And so the gospel is there to help us believe. So we have to receive it. And we have to accept it, believe it, and then we have to respond to it. And that means we will have to repent of our sin. 
That means we will need to be baptized into Christ. We need to respond to the commands that it gives us and live in obedience. In Romans 2.13, we read, For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. And that's just simply saying we need to respond in obedience. In Acts 17.30, we read, In the past God overlooked such ignorance, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. So after hearing the first gospel sermon, the, the people cried out to Peter, and they asked him, What must we do to be saved? They heard the gospel, and they were cut to the heart by what Peter said. You crucified the Son of God. That was his message. And when they said, what must we do to be saved? Peter's response in verse 28 of Acts 2, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's how the gospel tells us we need to respond to the gospel. And then, as I mentioned earlier, we need to share it. We need to confess it to others. Maybe a better word is be a witness to others. Maybe an even better word would be a courier, like the Roman couriers who would take it throughout the empire. That is what you and I can do. Once we've received it and accepted it and responded to it, now we can share it. In Romans 10, 9, we read, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So friends, we must declare it with our voice, verbally, out loud. And then finally, I want to suggest to you that we should savor it. And what do I mean by savor? I mean we should respect it. We should appreciate it. We should cherish it. We should study it. But when I think of that word savor, I think of like going to eat after church today and you, you go to that steakhouse and you got that nice, perfectly cooked steak and you just savor every bite. It just tastes so good. Listen, the gospel tastes even better. Because it is the great news that God has for you. So often we act as if we couldn't care less. God's Word, the gospel message, is not a priority for many people. It is put up on a shelf. And it sits on the table. You might remember 2 Timothy 3. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You might remember 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets through human, although human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
In Hebrews 4.12, we read, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Friends, the gospel is the great news for a world that is in chaos. And maybe even for you, when your life is in chaos. It is great news for us who are trying to navigate through this dark world. Each of us has this powerful tool at our disposal. When the world is creeping in, when discouragement begins to weigh us down, when temptation is pulling at our hearts, open the gospel. Open it up and read it. And a lot of people, as they're struggling in life, they close the book, they put it away, and they try to figure it out on their own. You're not going to figure it out on your own. God has given you what you need, and it is the gospel. My friend Hector Onate, um, some of you may know Hector, I don't know. Uh, his family started the Mazatlan restaurants here in Greenville. Uh, years ago, when Christy and I, uh, uh, she was pregnant with Alyssa, and um, we started going to Mazatlan, loved the food, got to know Hector. Um, several years later, he began to open up some other restaurants. But uh, Hector shared his story with us, and we became very close friends. In fact, uh, when we lived in Washington for a while, we lived right next door to Hector and his wife, Raquel, and she would watch Alyssa when Alyssa was a little baby. Alyssa could understand Spanish back then, and, you know, I don't, she would say things to us. We didn't know what she was saying, you know. Uh, now, uh, Hector has changed the name Mazatlan to La Ribera. Some of you may know that, and he's got several stores. But he grew up as a Catholic in Mexico. His mother always told him to keep a Bible open in his house. Now, she never said, read it. She just said, keep it open. You know, ward off the evil that's around the darkness. Now, at some point, as Hector was working with his family here in Greenville, he was going through a hard time at work, and one day he decided, well, maybe I should read that book. <laughs> now, it had been opened in his house, this before he got married, by the way, but he, he went to it, and it was open to Proverbs. And he just began to read. Now, I don't know if, you know, I would not suggest this to anybody, like, if you want to learn about the Bible, don't just open the Bible up and point, you know. I think a more systematic thing would be good, but God knew what he was doing with Hector. So as Hector began to read, he read the exact problem that he was having. It was right on the pages that had been there all that time. And he said it gave him a solution to the problem. And he said, well, I'm going to try that. And he tried it, and it worked. <laughs> and it lit a fire under him. And he began to read the Scriptures on a daily basis. And his heart began to change. He stopped going to the bars and getting drunk. Eventually, he would give his life to Christ. And by the time I met him, he was getting ready to branch out with his own restaurant. And he was sharing with us then how he was convicted that he wanted to have a family restaurant without liquor. 
in it. Now, I'm not saying anything bad about restaurants that have liquor. That's not what I'm saying. But he felt compelled that God wanted him to start a Mexican restaurant for the family that wouldn't have liquor in it. His family turned against him so fast because they thought he was going to fail. Because the only way to succeed in restaurant business is to have the liquor and to make your money on the liquor. But he told them, if God is with me, I will succeed. If God is not with me, I will fail. But I believe this is what God wants me to do. Today, Hector Onate owns five restaurants around this state. And he is doing very well, thank you. And if you walk into one of his restaurants, you're going to hear Christian music being played. And sometimes if you go at the right time, you'll go where they're having a Bible study for their employees. And today, Hector is a pastor himself. All because he began to read that book that was open in his house. Friend, you have that book. In fact, you have 4.3 copies of it. <laughs> it is the Word of God. God sent it to change your life. So, be reminded of who Jesus is and why He came. He is your King, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. You serve Him. You don't serve man. He loves you. His Spirit is here to help you. His church is here to support and encourage you. You are not alone. And if you need to talk to someone, if you need some prayer, we are here for you. Now, as we close today, I just want to, again, remind you of the 30-day prayer challenge, the pray for one. Uh, pray that God will prepare the hearts of that person that you wrote on that card. Pray that they will understand the bad news so that they will accept the good news. And I pray for you that God will use you in some way to reach out to them that God will embolden your heart to speak about your faith in a loving and kind way. So let's go to God in prayer right now. Father, we are so thankful for the good news, the great news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It tells us that you have not abandoned us, that you love us. And even though we have failed so much, that you offer forgiveness, and you offer hope. So thank you for the hope that you give us in this good news. I pray, Father, that we might be willing to share that good news with others, to be couriers taking that good news of our emperor, Jesus Christ, to the world around us. We pray for our ones, Lord. We pray that you will help us to share that message of grace with them. So prepare their hearts even now, Father, and prepare our hearts so that when we speak, they will be ready. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.